Hi everybody and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne and that is Chris Sacknesson. Chris, how are you doing this beautiful Monday afternoon? Well, it is beautiful, David, here. It really, really is. The winds have died down. It's just glorious sunshine. I got out for a skydive the other day. Our weather has broken. And I'm very excited about the new year on multiple, multiple levels. And uh, continually excited about uh, the quality and depth of, of the people listening to our show. I'm very grateful for it. One of our subscribers, Scott Hales, I want to give a special shout out to. I've never met Scott in person. He lives just not that far away in Northern California, but a very, very interesting colleague of the mind who's always sending through links and suggested readings that are just so on track with with what I'm interested in, what we're interested in. Uh, it's got some really good feedback and it, it's just exciting to know that they're that this is working, that, that we're connecting with some people right. of, of true quality and magical sympathy, you know, sympathetic magic working. Mm-hmm. So, good start for the year. Yeah. Yeah, and when we, you know, line out this show and in our private conversations and talk about what we want to do and the directions that we want to take it in, we've gone back and forth and tried some different things, and we ultimately decided on the model that we have right now, which is, you know, the Patreon exclusive. Uh, Chris and I have a structure to the show, but we're really... Uh, pursuing what's interesting to us rather than uh, some options that, you know, that I've put forward before of, you know, kind of uh, uh, trying to lean into things like pop culture and, you know, more of the cryptozoology stuff. That's all part of who we are, and that's part of things that we like. But I think what I'm the most proud of in this show, and I wanted to say at the top of the year, the top of 2022, is that I really do feel like we have gone our own way and it's beginning to bear fruit, right? We have uh, not faltered. We have not wavered. And, uh, and people are, are uh, vibing with it. So I'm very, I'm very proud and happy of where we are right Excellent. Now. Well, I feel the same. And I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's a magical improvisational uh, adventure, you know, and I think that the whole point of adventure is that you take some risks, you do make some wrong turns, detours, some strange things pop up, and there are distractions, but overall I think we're, we have found an, an interesting through line uh, in a spiral way to the the depth and complexity of things that interest us. And I, th- I think for our listeners, we'll, we'll really empathize with this because we, we know from having some, some discussions with them, happy hours and feedback, that that's one of the great challenges for people who are really smart and curious and engaged with the world is finding a way to cope with and manage their curiosity and not be overwhelmed by it. You know, and I, I think that's a challenge for us all. And it does require some psychic ceremony. It really does. And I, I think that's, mm-hmm. at our best, that's what we're delivering on and participating and inviting, 
inviting people into, uh, you know, join the ceremony because uh, it's not just our ceremony at all. I mean, we're we're drawing on many, many, many streams of inspiration and resource, and we have some general navigational principles, but the the destination is is a communal process of, of formation and discovery. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, the show could be this where we have, uh, you know, bouncy intro music and we, you know, how's everybody doing out there? Welcome to the No Country Park. We're going to talk about what did uh, old Joe Biden say today? And then I hit an air horn and, you know, kind of like a morning zoo radio hour. But that's not what we're doing. This is a. Uh, this is a conversation that we pick up every week, and um, I don't know. I just I'm having a lot of good vibes lately. I had a really good holiday season, uh, and I hope you did too. And I'm just uh, I'm just feeling good about everything. Good. Well, I am too. I think that's really important. I think that you know there there is an element of choice in this, uh, and this is an important larger message for our time because. It, it can be so much about who's to blame rather than what we can change, you know, and I think we've got to focus on that dynamic and take a little bit of, of self-responsibility for how we conduct ourselves, you know, what, what are the choices that we're making that we actually can control that might lift our spirits up, that might give us some mental focus, that might give us some more social connection rather than disjunction divisiveness, tension, conflict, fatigue, you know, uh, I wrote in the textbook that, mm-hmm. that loneliness and depression are, are really a species of predatory fatigue, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's deadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can really experience... Predatory fatigue. Yeah, I mean, it, it... That is a great phrase. Thank you. I think it's really, I, I have learned that from hard experience on, on many different fronts, from really isolated wilderness experience to real social conflict in, you know, very crowded foreign places to uh, the, the change in my, my local community. I think we all know that experience, but if we can reposition depression, anxiety, and dissociation, the three great, well, the psychological trinity of, of pathology of our time as all falling under a very dark umbrella of predatory fatigue, then we can think, okay, well, how do I get out from that? What can I do to to re-energize? And I I really like our our focus on some practical ideas to to fire people up and to fire ourselves up Mm -hmm. because you and I both are, are, you know, we have our own dark periods and we're, we're struggling and uh, it, it's no one has the answer here, and and the answer is not an artifact. It's a process, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that you know, if you think about everything that comes of um, of this process that we're talking about, everything's downstream from it. Everything is a is a side effect of the process itself, you know. So this conversation that we're having right now the conversations that we've had in the past those were what they are for their own sake sorry if you have to rewind that it's a little bit 
uh, confusing maybe, but I've been, uh, <laughs> nightly before I go to bed, I've been reading a lot of Zogchen uh, literature, some sort of Tibetan Buddhism, which I like. I like to go back to. I kind of weave in and out of it, um, but I, I really have this feeling about the things that we're doing that they are, like the, the value of it is what we're doing right now or, you know, the experience of someone listening to it right now. And then all the sort of goals we have are our side effects of that initial point of creation. Right. Right. So on that note, beautiful day here, beautiful day in Vegas. What would you like to talk about today? We have a we have a week in disillusionment, right? Or not disillusionment, sorry, dissonance. That's the word. Yeah, dissonance more uh, than dis... I mean, I think disillusionment is, is a side effect, an inevitable side effect yeah. of, of, of dissonance and the, and the fatigue, uh, the predatory fatigue of dissonance and, and uh, intellectual cultural disjunction. But uh, I'll just jump in before and say... David has once again been given five words to choose two to integrate into the discussion. And this is an ongoing uh, project of mine. I've, I've used this technique with students down almost 10 years now. Um, it's kind of a secret agent task, you know, where you, you assign a private assignment when you're out in social occasions or... Uh, you know, even if you're just having a conversation with a roommate or a partner or a friend. Uh, but I did have one of the highlights of my holiday season was connecting with one of my most flamboyant students. Uh, a very, very bright dude, African-American. He arrived in my class uh, several years ago in a state of complete chaos. But with the capability that... Um, well, I'm very grateful because I spotted it instantly. I'm not sure everyone would. I, to me, it was very clear. Uh, but there was a mm-hmm. lot of discipline and focus that was needed. And he really jumped all over this idea of the secret words. And uh, he actually, um, he's back in town. He, he, he moved to L.A. and has a gig there. Uh, but he, he made contact with me and said, look, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's meet. And... Uh, I thought, oh, fantastic, you know, so good to hear from you. And the first thing he said to me, uh, he put a $20 bill down on the table, and he said, I, I want you to be able to pick out my secret words, because that technique has meant so much for, for my development, my focus, my sense of self-esteem, my ability to, to raise some standards for myself. And I just thought, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about real right. life change, you know? So I was very excited mm-hmm. about that. So David, once again, has his words, and I promise listeners that they are going to get more complicated, and I mean complicated in different ways. What, one of the things that we're really going to dive deep into is what is complexity? Uh, you know, what does that really mean? It, 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 it's not such an easy thing, which is kind of, you know, should be apparent. But complexity doesn't necessarily mean, you know, multisyllabic words or, you know, those kind of jump out at you. Sometimes they're going to be very subtle things. So there are many different levels that David is working on. But then we also have an imaginative challenge for him which he has never heard before. This is coming at him right now live. 
uh, which he has to keep in mind running on a separate channel. This is two-channel thinking, which is, again, very important, uh, very much a teaching technique and a discipline that I follow in my own life. I really recommend it. Uh, but here's the challenge for the, the, this week, uh, David, and it's a, it's a real-world challenge. Um, I'm part of a, a group of uh, people who include futurists, uh, scientists of various kinds, certainly social scientists and cultural studies people, some science fiction writers, all kind of a real mixed bag of people. And it's pretty diverse in terms of gender and race. There's about um, 180 of us now. Uh, we don't always all participate, but it's kind of fun. Uh, but one of the things that we do do is, is an ongoing, we do it sort of three times a year, but we have a major roundup for the year about questions for the future, questions about the future. And because that's one of the, the areas of emphasis for all of us, a kind of a, a uniting factor that, that is the, the raison d'etre for the, for the group, uh, the bar gets set pretty high. Uh, we don't just want to have questions about, well, will we survive as a species? Will the asteroid hit? You know, climate change. We, we, that's all assumed, okay? So we work on, on much uh, levels of, of much greater subtlety uh, to come up with questions. And your challenge, David, is to, to, to cross levels, to, to mix different levels from social to what might be called engineering or uh, hard technology. And I'll give you um, exam an example, uh, my, my two questions that I pitched. Um, I asked, and the, we, the few, let's let, let the future be defined the way you want it to be, whether it's 10 or 20 years. We're not talking about thousands of years here. We're talking about the near future, I should clarify. My first question is, will international service clubs such as Rotary, Lions, Kiwanis, will they survive? Will they survive? Now that seems like a very humble, mundane question, but I think within that there hides a lot of meaning, a lot of, of interesting uh, sub-questions. That's, I think, something important socially. My hard question is, hard uh, physical question is, will we see telephone poles and electric towers in 30 to 50 years time? One argument would be that yes, because they're hard work to uh, remove, we're going to actually need more of that line. Yes, things will be underground, new wiring, new, new variations on fiber optics. But yes, we will still see a landscape with these poles. And remember that, you know, it isn't that long ago that these things appeared. That they're one of the fundamental changes in the modernist landscape. So those are my two questions that I pitched to the group. And the idea is to come up with subtle questions, questions that, that might seem very mundane or ordinary or uh, not grand subjects for a science fiction novel, you know, a high concept novel, but things that, questions that might actually raise deeper structural questions. So, is that clear? You've got to come up with two contrasting levels of question for, uh, for the group. It's very clear and something funny. I will think of something different, but as you were speaking, 
believe it or not, my first thought was telephone poles. <laughs> Interesting. We'll see. So we're 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 on the same wavelength. I will come up with something different, but I thought that was worth mentioning. Well, that is, and I, I appreciate it. I think this is what we're trying to inculcate in in listeners and, and certainly in students and in, in the student and all of us. It's, it's, there is no such thing as a small question to a curious mind, you know? There really, right. really right. isn't. And a curious mind, anything that comes up as a question is by definition of interest and worth and value. So, good start. All right. Okay. Well, um, the dissonance of the we. <laughs> Do you want to kick it off, Rochelle? I, I, I've, what I've got is not so much just examples, but I, I really wanted to introduce some tools of analysis. So I, 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 mm-hmm. I definitely have a, a follow-up position of, of ways to, because we want to start handing out some tools uh, and to encourage tool making. Uh, one of my uh, Australian friends is a master Paleolithic arrowhead carver, and it's just a, remarkable to see him at work. And I think, you know, we forget that we can not, not only use tools, but we, we can make them and we can invent them. Um, so I've got that to kind of uh, f- down the funnel, so to speak. But did you have something you wanted to kick off with? Because I do have a few uh, examples, uh, but they're kind of on this larger frame. Yeah, I think it would be better if I kicked off then, because mine are a bit more hermetically sealed. Um, well, not, not that's not true. They have larger implications. My major one comes in the form of a screenshot that I took from the website twitter.com very famous website many people are probably familiar with it <laughs> uh, Twitter on a you know daily basis will have trending topics that run along the right hand column of the screen and they're everything from paid promotions for television shows to big political stories a big genre of this trending story is the fact check or, or debunk which has really gotten to hilarious levels of uh, attempting to dissuade anyone from <clears throat> the the current dominant narrative. I've seen some some trending stories that uh, there was um, Anderson Cooper who was interviewing Bill Gates about vaccine mandate policies, which I find very interesting. I find it an interesting. Um, kind of dissonance that a lot of people might not even notice that you know people often scoff at an entertainer like Joe Rogan for having scientists on his show and attempting to ask hard questions that he might not know the answer to and they they come at him with the idea that he's not a he's not a scientist he you know but you know Bill Gates isn't either (laughs) we still seem to listen to him for some reason, because he's got a lot of money, I guess. I, I guess Joe Rogan has a lot of money, but he's a drop in the bucket compared to a Bill Gates. But anyhow, on this trending topic, there were two, uh, two, you know, topics that were pushed right together. The first one was Saturday Night Live. This was very clearly a kind of paid promotion. It was Saturday night, so the show was coming on, and uh, it had two thousand seven hundred. Uh, engagements with it to basically they underneath the, the trending topic they'll put how many people are talking about it 
at any given time. 2,791. And right above it, smushed up against it, was Joe Rogan, because he had Dr. Robert Malone on his show, who's one of the uh, creators, one of the, the inventors on the team that created the platform of the mRNA platform delivery system for the vaccines that we have right now. He's also a person who's been very outspoken about things like vaccine mandates. And that trending topic had 275,000 people talking about it. And so what's interesting to me is that I think that a bit of signal might be cutting through the dissonance. So this is perhaps an anti-weakened dissonance uh, story that I have here. But when I saw that, it actually warmed my heart just a little bit. Because of course, all those people who are talking about him are not necessarily fans of his. Uh, but they're being, because of his platform that Spotify has given him and that he's built himself, uh, the guests that he chooses to have on his shows who are, are professionals, uh, are credentialed, and have uh, you know opinions or even facts that run counter to the current narrative, um, people are being forced to engage with those now, right? And a bit of signal is beginning to come out of that friction. Right, okay. Uh, God, you know, the, the thing about the Bill Gates uh, as sort of a guru deacon of, of anything to do with uh, the pandemic, uh, it makes me think of a really funny meme that was going around. I can't remember who sent it to me, but um, the heading was, are there any topics that you wouldn't consult Bill Gates about? And then there were three that came instantly to mind. One, women. Mm -hmm. Two, fashion. Oh, wow. Three, anything to do with fun. <laughs> and I, I do think it is very strange and, and, and kind of worrisome that, that, that Gates, who, I mean, there are so many things that I think you, you could really credibly ask him about. I mean, entrepreneurship, money, investments, the future of technology. I mean, he's not a technologist Eugenics, himself, yeah. but I think that you could, uh, I mean, he did write a book about, you know, the road ahead. I mean, there, there's all sorts of things. Uh, I think you could, you know, talk about philanthropy and world charity and, and how to make it, you know, I'd accept quite a few reasons to uh, interview Bill Gates, you know. And, and get his opinion mm -hmm. about something. But I'm damned if I know why anything to do with microbiology, uh, viruses, uh, uh, epidemics, you know, I just, I don't get that at all. I really don't get it. And it seems very, uh, it seems like a kind of desperate CNN sort of stunt. We've got to get an expert in here, uh, you know, and okay, once or twice to fill in a time slot, I understand that, but uh, yeah. um, it just seems really, really quite strange. But I like the idea of, uh, and I think this is an important part of the segment, of looking for ways to, to break through dissonance and to find uh, signal in noise and, and to, to try to turn things around, particularly in our own personal critical thinking. Um, we can't always, we certainly can't depend on on the media in any form uh, to do that for us anymore, uh, if we ever could. Um, but that's a good start. Okay. Um, well, here's uh, on the surface, this seems just 
a little bit too predictable uh, to even get into. And this is one of my themes is that we, we, we need to, when we have that sense, to not dismiss uh, the topic, but, but to look more deeply. Um, Post-Christmas, so we're already looking back, you know, when we should be looking forward. Uh, there was a news story about the Jingle Bells controversy and the song Jingle Bells, which is probably the most innocuous of Christmas songs. Uh, certainly, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's possible to find a Christian religious element in that song. Um, but it was viewed as a problem because uh, a cultural historian uh, made the case, which is in itself not proven and, and is open for uh, academic and popular debate, that the song debuted within a minstrel show tradition and mm. therefore is tainted. In, in Actually, the author, the historian who put this view, you know, said, look, that wasn't my point. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying where it got its first attention. I, I think it should be sung, and I wasn't intending for it to be canceled. So there's, there's a couple of things going on there of uh, some relatively innocent, in the sense of non-rhetorically driven uh, scholarship being over- reacted to by school administrators and local officials of, of a particular area where it got uh, banned. Um, but, you know, anyone who really does any cultural history in American entertainment forms of the late 18th, 19th century predominantly, knows that the minstrel show idea is a very complex one. And we have a cartoon version of it, which is really seen as, as just horror. And now uh, almost all of the connotations are negative, when in fact that is a, a really gross simplification of a channel of entertainment that is enormously important to the rise of African-American as entertainers, you know, mm -hmm. there were an enormous number of people mm -hmm. who broke okay. through that, but that was a hinge point. So there's there's a lot of simplifications around that. But the moment I uh, came across that show, I happened to be out with some people who uh, we got talking about back to Thanksgiving. And I thought, geez, I'm, I'm in this sort of time when it's not even Groundhog Day, it's, it's work. And there was a discussion about the pilgrims, the pilgrims, and the awful nature of the pilgrims and the awful nature of the real story about Thanksgiving. And uh, just the word, one of the people involved said, just the word pilgrims upsets me. And I said, well, what do you do then with the millions, millions of pilgrims every year to Mecca in Saudi Arabia? The millions mm -hmm. of Hindu pilgrims across around the world. What do you do with the idea of pilgrimage, which is coming back in great force across the United Kingdom, particularly Ireland and Wales? But through, uh, you know, with all the great cathedrals of England, there are many people who are participating in this, this movement 
uh, that are doing it for spiritual reasons, for sometimes uh, Christian religious reasons, but oftentimes purely for the communal nature of, of walking together, having a destination. Rupert Sheldrake features pilgrimage as one of the important spiritual practices uh, in his last two books that that really is not necessarily you know connected with a system of belief as in a major religion you know the idea of pilgrimage mm-hmm. I think is one of the most beautiful ideas there is and in, in, you could say the entire history of, of human evolution and development and geographical uh, dispersion is based on that idea of, of pilgrimage so I'll sum up the first element is either the jingle bells or the pilgrim problem, and I'll return to that mm-hmm. in a moment. That got me thinking of another uh, point that Sheldrake makes, which is there for us all to, to see all the time. Uh, the British and Australians say, going on holiday, we're all going on a summer holiday. Americans say vacation, mm-hmm. right? Note that, you know, holiday is very clearly a variation on holy day. And vacation is what that form has become. Vacancy, vacating, you know? So that's point number two Mm -hmm. that I I want to look at in, in revealing some tools for us to use. The third is a question that I have, which has come up. A few of my, uh, other, um, colleagues have have talked about this but I got thinking about it because social media is such a fundamental uh, medium and problem of our time it's both uh, the the sea in which uh, dissonance swims and incubates and grows Mm Uh, but it's it's an ex- it's a physical expression of dissonance, and I wondered, you know, we were talking in in our last episode, and we're, one of our ongoing things is about the importance of language, what's in a word, and I wondered to myself, what would things have been different if instead of the term social media, we'd said wild media, or community media, or uh, informal media, which I think is, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those are fair. So before I kind of repackage those three elements in terms of the tools that I'd like us to focus on, could I get a response to that social media question? Do you think that just repositioning that phrasing might have changed things or is it simply too big to, to be influenced by that level of change? That is a very good question. I think that your... I couldn't see community taking... I could see informal working really well, especially as it stands as a disseminator of information that runs counter to what you might see on NBC or Fox Mm -hmm. News. And I think that that framing device also takes it away from the consumer as being uh, an integral part of it. Because I think that the the social aspect of it... By the way, I also love wild. I think wild media would have been fantastic. That makes me think of 
Alex Jones or, you know, coast to coast AM, you know, people just out there uh, creating their own reality tunnels to live in. But back to the, the social aspect of it, I think implies that the exchange and dissemination of information becomes a part of the social process. And there are several things that I would put above that on as far as importance goes in social interaction. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think that social interaction might in fact hinge on not disseminating information. All I remember when I was a kid, I remember when I was a kid, it was considered so gauche to bring up your political opinions right. to anybody. Yeah. People would, and this, this is very, this is recent. This is maybe 15, 20 years ago. It, who you were voting for, that was right. you know, that's your such business. A good point. And I think that when you're when you're fraternizing with your with your buddies, uh, so much of it, you know, there was a recent uh, Instagram thing where the comedian Patton Oswalt took a picture with his friend Dave Chappelle, whom he's known for 34 years, essentially almost my whole life, and he ended up having to write this whole essay on on Instagram about sort of apologizing and explaining himself why he was associated with a a transphobe. And the thing is, is that Patton Oswalt and Dave Chappelle's relationship is beautiful because you're supposed to be able to be friends with each other and not bring this up. So the social media aspect, that, that, that the media has become a part of socializing, I think might be one of the major linguistic missteps in the past 20 years. And total cognitive dissonance. Look, I think that's a beautiful, you know, I have not thought about that. Uh, well, certainly not as sharply as you've just brought to mind. And you, you I really love how you do this. Uh, it, it's just, it's so helpful to me personally. But I think this is exactly what really great conversations and good friends and, and, and this kind of, of connection that we're trying to foster is all about because you have said something that is so fundamental to my whole growing up phase through well up to very very recently it would have been absolutely so square and uh, just kind of unheard of to really harp on politics with close friends it just it, it it would have been mm-hmm. yeah unth- I mean not not taboo I don't I, I don't even think it would have reached that it just would have not been considered you know it was just it would have been felt a, a little bougie yeah like that's that's something for the wine and cheese crowd that's the way to put it I think it's it just kind of very very not just square but bougie I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it comes down, you know, there, it would have been assumed that kind of everybody knew what was going on there in, in a close friend situation. And that why would you be having that conversation at that? Why would you be pitching that level, that level to someone mm-hmm. you're, uh, you know, intimate with in some way? I don't mean sexually intimate with, but, but in a friend way, you know, you just wouldn't need to do that. It would be weird. It would be really, really weird. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting point. I went to an art opening uh, recently, and one of the pieces, the performance pieces, was very political in nature. And I tried out an experiment 
and I pretended I didn't know what the guy was talking about. And I asked the group of friends that I was with, like, well, that was cool, but what was that, what was that about? And they each had a different interpretation. So these are people who are very much in the art world. They're not overtly political people because they're more concerned about, you know, sweeping up their studio and organizing the next show. They don't really have time to be super political at every moment of their lives. And I just, I felt this beautiful uh, camaraderie with these guys. And, and even though I was faking, it could be possible that they were playing dumb as well. But assume that they were. Maybe that's for the best. Maybe it's for the best that we all just sort of assume that we don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, absolutely. And in many ways, that's a return to a, a much older sense of, of dignity and, and genuinely social uh, behavior in the sense of courtesy and mutual respect. And also a way of getting on to some, some more interesting you know, points of discovery and, and development. Uh, you know, you just made me think of, of, of a beautiful example of this, and I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever seen any transcripts of it, but I, I have heard reference to it. I think it would make a, a lovely radio play. But Ken Kesey, you know, the, the really, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. hip DMT-eating author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Sometimes a Great Notion, sort of, a, you know... Uh, Guru in California, guru when he moved to Oregon, very much a you know a, a, a counterculture author par excellence. Well, he had a very very long standing uh, friendship with Larry McMurtry, the the Texan Western author, uh, Lonesome Dove, The Last Picture Show. You know, both really great writers, both very powerful masculine men, but completely opposite. In, in political and socio-political uh, views. But they used to uh, have these late-night phone conversations. And I think that's over years, you know, over years. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's a beautiful mm-hmm. example of how friendship transcends, you know, that petty social level. And even if we say the social yeah. level isn't petty, uh, that, that, that's maybe my view. I, I, I think what we mean by that is petty because I think it diminishes the cultural, the personal, the psychological, and the spiritual. But even if it is seen as really important, their position was that friendship, connection, uh, the karmic collaborative nature of, of their beings was more important and led to more interesting discussions. But it also did allow them to, to engage in, in, in frictional uh, conversations which didn't destroy uh, this bond, and I, I, I always thought that was really a lovely, uh, you know, expression of, of being of friendship being bigger than ideology. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's great. So, I like where you're going with this. Uh, the the issues with the term social media. I'm interested to hear where you're going. Okay, well, to peel back then, let's look at uh, the Jingle Bells Pilgrim problem first. And this is the first tool to roll out. I call this attention by agenda. Attention by agenda. Mm -hmm. That which doesn't fall within a frame by definition can't be the picture. That's very a very Mm -hmm. easy and extremely lazy rhetorical 
stance. And wherever rhetoric gets lazy, it becomes uh, unrecognized and assumed, and it becomes a very, very dangerous force uh, in society and, and, and very and a completely uh, destructive force of what we mean by culture and, and the, an obfuscation of the ghost radio signal. Attention by agenda. So you really aren't looking at anything. You're not looking at the word pilgrim. You're not even accepting that pilgrim has many definitions, many contexts. You're now focused on a specific ideal, an artifact, a calcified idea. Ideals are always calcified ideas. They're, we've lost the process. We've lost the wave. What we have isn't even a crystal. It's just a lump of rock. And that's a real problem. This is what is one of the key sources of dissonance and confusion, where we think we are talking about a topic. We might even get very stroppy and up on high horses about that. But in fact, we're really you know, pushing an agenda. We're not looking at a topic at all. There is no frame of reference. The, the frame is all that's important, and we will shove anything we, we can are, into it. Yeah. We're separated by a barrier of axioms. Beautiful, beautiful. That's very, very well said. Yeah, I'm just uh, sorry, escaping from my my son. <laughs> my wife is home. Perfect. Okay, the second sorry. thing of of the movement from holiday, holy sense of holy day, cultural sacredness, to oh, just time off. I can watch some TV, Netflix, you know, take the family out, have a beer, you know, fine. All of that is really, really important. And I think if we look at uh, the whole, the, the first industrial revolution and the second, the immigration patterns of, of the 19th century particularly, we see how hard people worked. And no one says that having some fun uh, isn't good. And in fact, a lot of what was the, the so-called progressive people at the time were all about reform and not and, and not letting the working class people have any fun. So I'm not against holidays and that sense of time off. What I think is interesting is the movement from holiday to vacation, vacation, mm. vacancy, mm -hmm. getting out of town. You know, vacation. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that has some real problems for me, and I think it, it, it also connects with evacuation, and I think of, of kind of bowel movements, frankly. I think there's just a lot that's really, yeah. really wrong with that. But to tighten that and connect it with the second conceptual tool, let's look at secularization as degeneration of word magic degeneration of word magic and we can look at some synonyms adulterate corrupt dilute okay but that got me thinking and I think this is something that that you know we talk about the importance of never taking vocabulary for granted even smart educated people this is easily done because we're all lazy and we're busy we're confused and lots get in the way but if you ask people what secular means, they will say correctly that it refers to things that are not 
religious or spiritual, that it's a counter to mm-hmm. the religious and spiritual nature of things. Fine, that is true connotatively, but if you go back to the origin of the word and its derivatives, it, it derives from Latin, and it means much more simply of an age or generation, of an age or generation. So it does not originally directly refer to things religious and spiritual. It's not a counter to that. It means rather things of the moment, as in fashionable, ah. topical. Now that's an important wow. distinction wow. to make. That's a very, very yes, important is. distinction to make. And if wow. you, you know, etymologically and psychologically examine that, what is said then is that things that are under the rubric of religion and the spirit, spirituality, are things that endure, mm-hmm. things that are transcendent Correct. of time, whereas the secular world are things that are very time-based, ephemeral, social. They're, they're matters of fad. They're matters of fashion. And I think that's a crucial right. distinction to make. So when people talk about secular humanism, uh, well, let's just, we know what, what it means now, <laughs> you know? Uh, right, and I think right. that's an important uh, tool. So there's a couple of things going on there, but secularization as degeneration of word magic. That is the bigger idea mm. here. It's not just about matters religious and spiritual. It's about what Dave and I talked about in terms of a larger magical frame that endures through time, that unites culture, that is a world cultural idea. Magic is a world cultural idea. You can find it in every single hominid that has achieved the status of humanity in some way. And it's important to see that the secularization of language is not, first of all, about religion and spirit. It's about grounding in more immediate social acceptability, fashionability, and disposability. Disposable, beautiful. God, I love how you do that. That is so good. That's so good. That is exactly mm-hmm. right. Thanks. That is exactly right. Well, you know? Yeah, this is wrinkling my brain. Um, I'm really glad that you brought that up because it brings so much that's going on right now into focus when you think about how secularized society has, has been. It's, it's just it's a separation of, from the past but also the future and the immediate necessity for things like gratification, um, achievement, uh, even you know mental health and well-being, and yes, a sense of spirituality, none of those are, are part of a secular mindset. So that's, that has just really cracked something open for me. So thanks for that. You're very welcome. And I think that word disposable was just a beautiful harmonic to, uh, to round that off and to send it forth. You know, that's what harmonics do. They're both conclusive mm-hmm. and uh, expansive, you know. And, and actually, young Gus has that ability, too. It's, I, want, I know now where he, where he gets that from. Um, but that's a beautiful... Uh, it's, it's not only an implication... Of, of the secular, it's an inevitable 
implication. Mm -hmm. Inevitability is something mm -hmm. that's really important, that, that it does become disposable. And therefore, we start to get our hands, our, our, the hands of our mind, on a genuine opposition between secular and magical. It, it really has to do with endurance in time, transcendence of time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and thinking, and it ties back to a, an earlier point that, that continues to need expansion, that I, I distinguish between hard memory within a culture, as in people, living brains, living minds, living relationships, the dynamics that get lost when someone dies within a small indigenous culture versus, you know, when someone dies, when they, you know, we're, we feel sad, we have a memorial service, there's an obituary, you know, on and on and on. But we don't feel like some part of culture has been lost. That, because we live in a soft memory culture where everything's digitized mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we think, oh, well, you know, we can go look at photographs or the books they wrote or articles about them or, you know, or not. Um, and every once in a while, every once in a while, it crosses our mind that there really is a potter's field for all the people who didn't quite reach the level of significance to be remembered. You know, they just died in the street or, right. you know. And we think, oh, well, you know. Right. Uh, and we don't think much about them because we don't even know who they are, you know. That's what a potter's field means. Yeah. Um, so some really good points there. So coming down to the third tool which uh, I, I love multiplex, uh, you know, things, things I can put in my pocket, you know. Uh, I love like a pocket microscope or, or, you know, I love, you know, things that are very, very practical and carryable, portable. And they're the kinds of things that are, are cool from a pretty young age, you know, starting early, stuff that, that has real practical value. And I think this, this really does, but it's, uh, it's distinct from a practical tip. We're, we're calling these tools, and this is tool number three. But think about it very carefully. Words that resist antonyms are more robust. It's a very, very interesting gambit here. It's a big idea that ties in with some crucial thinkers like Henri Bergson, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. I mean, so many of our heroes who really challenge the, the idea of negation, of negation as, as a philosophy, as a practical strategy, as a linguistic uh, possibility. I want to think about that. If you can easily undermine a word, and remember we talked about the union concept with how things turn into their opposite. If you can, the more easily something is just flipped over, the less robust it is as a concept and as a cultural tool. That's my argument. And the examples are things that you can just easily pop the prefixes of anti, dis, un, or non in front of. Just have a little bit of suspicion about them. Don't, you know, we can't get rid of them. We can't get rid of them. There's no point in, in you know, uh, resisting. R-E is another prefix to sort of be alert to. But it's a question of how alert we are, not the fact that we're just, we can get free of them. But I want to give a really, really clear, sharp example of where something is robust and is a little bit resistant 
to just being easily negated because uh, I'm connecting the, this tool back to the social media idea because my, my point is I think antisocial is a little bit too easy to say. You know, we, we arrive mm -hmm. there a little bit mm -hmm. too quickly. So my conclusion there is that social is kind of either a vague, wishy-washy word. It's too easily rolled over on its back. You know, we're going to be talking to Grant Walmer, who's into jujitsu. And uh, I, I think um, words that are too easily rolled in their backs are uh, words we may want to think twice about. Let me give you an example of a word that's not so easily rolled optimist. You never hear someone say an anti-optimist. I've right. never once, Google on them, it doesn't come up. It's a very strange, awkward phrase. You would hear someone rather described as a pessimist. So optimist has some rigor, it has some backbone to it, and it requires a whole other word to be countered. Think about that. That's, that's got some real conceptual uh, fertility and virility to it and, and dignity, you know? You don't say someone's an anti-optimist. Yeah. You say they're a pessimist or maybe a realist or an idealist. You force, in a kind of chess game, judo sense, you force a different kind of perspective. And those are the kinds of words that we would like to be using more because they use us less. We are less victimized by their ins you know, insipidity and weakness. You know, we want to be using words decisively that have some real fish strength to them. You know, you get a, a live fish in your hands, and what's the first thing you do? You get, you put your other hand on it. You know, because it's strong. Mm -hmm. it, you're, you're much bigger than right. a lot of you know the fish you can catch in your hands, but there's life and strength in it. And the really word, the words that really matter, have that kind of fish strength to them, and they're not so easily negated yeah. by a simple little prefix tack on. You know. So three tools, attention by agenda, look for that. Secularization is degeneration of word magic. Get past the religion and the spirit side. Think of it more as topicality and fashionability, and as David so beautifully pointed out, disposability. Third, words that resist antonyms are more robust. So. Perfect. Excellent. I think that was a fantastic crystallization of a way of thinking that would be genuinely helpful to everybody who hears that. And I mean, I mean, hears it. I don't have anything to add to that. I think that that was, I feel like I was just in school, but in a good way. I didn't mind school. School was fine, as long as I was interested in what I was learning. But I want, uh, what I'm going to do and what I want people who are listening to this to do is to actually uh, think about and meditate on these three ideas uh, going into next week because I want to poke at them, see if I can maybe poke some holes, test their durability, and, uh, and come back to Chris and talk a little bit more about these. That's a great idea, and that is what really, um, uh, the sense of, 
of learning, learning for life is all about is not just accepting, even, even well-phrased arguments or, and, and arguments that are put forward with some real passion and commitment, but to, to tease everything out, to, to throw some rocks at things, to, to see what holds up, and, and to, to bring other perspectives. And I think that that's really an important part of the collaborative nature of, of education and why we do need each other. To, to really grow in, in terms of our own thinking and the ability to, to help with other people's learning journey. It's very important to interrogate. I love the word interrogate. And one of the first things that, that we started off the whole series was, you know, David's idea of, of that, that combat is, is, is often really, you know, really important. It's a good. It's a question of the tone and, and the goal of it. But it's... it's mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's important to wrestle with ideas. It's important to be physical and to not shy away. And I think that one of the, the great problems of our time, which social media has exacerbated, is this fear of, of, of conflict, this fear of, of having you know, discussions become confrontations, because we lack the confidence and the mechanisms to have respectful interrogations of ideas. We, we think of them as, as conflicts between people, not triangulating two topics and being able to examine those. So that's a great way to start. And I, I do think that um, those are three sort of, of hefty um, conceptual tools that we'll need another sort of you know, look through next time. So I think we've got uh, a kind of obvious extended uh, episode and, and kind of know where we're going for next time. So I look forward to uh, your, your deep and thought on that, David, because um, I did just sort of spring that out of nowhere. But um, And I'd like to think about them more. And every time that you come back to me with some, I, I gain new perspectives. So I really appreciate that. So we, we have some ideas of where we're going. Um, yeah. And now we're kind of maybe ready to hear your two questions for the future or about the future. I'm really, I'm always very curious how you'll respond. I have written down on seven. I'll pick two. Can I do three? Sure. Or do you Absolutely. Just do two? Okay, because so I think these are good. Uh, will the uh, the the basic English class that we all get, we'll say English one hundred and one in college. Uh, will that be a uh, will English be a focus of study, or will it be broken up? And I'm thinking specifically of the different dialects that are coming up. I'm thinking of things like memes. I'm thinking of how Zoomers communicate, which is completely alien to me. Uh, and I got these other two. Interesting. I like that First idea. One, I like that idea. The, so, uh, what will a McDonald's menu look like in ten years? Uh, well. <laughs> that, see, already, I hope listeners, David has gotten on to the, to the kind of the tonal uh, nature of, of, of the challenge. And this is how uh, this group that I, I work with, this is how we think, that there is no question that is, is too humble to be looked at. And that we look at some of these things in almost the more micro they are, the more important in, uh, they are in terms of implications. 
So I think we've already got mm-hmm. two really great eyes. So, yeah, give us the third in the constellation. I'm now really curious, but you've definitely gotten on to the nature of, of, of the challenge. I would be uh, curious, we'll say 10 years again. Actually, let's make this one 20. I'd be curious to see what the market looks like for uh, the Japanese importation of matsutake mushrooms. Oh, wow. And the reason why, there's a great book by Anna Lowenhaupt Singh, I wrote a few years back, called The Mushroom at the End of the World. Matsutake is a delicacy in Japan. They're very expensive. They're often given as gifts at holidays. And uh, they very specifically only grow, they can't be domesticated. They cannot be, you can't make a Matsutake farm. They grow very specifically in these kind of rhizomatic, unintentional structures that are built up around deforested areas. So I think looking at that market in 20 years would say a lot about where we were as a species ecologically uh, and economically. Wow, okay. You know, that, that tripart, triadic response is a beautiful example. I'm going to coin a phrase here. We, we know the idea of dialectic which in its, its roughest uh, generic form is, is the notion of a thesis and antithesis and then a synthesis. I'm going to coin the phrase David-lectic uh, because you have <laughs> a beautiful way of, of, of using the triadic structure uh, to... There is a kind of synthesis, but there's always a, a using the third element as a kind of way to both complicate and to it reflects and refracts on on the two beginning principles, and it's really a lovely way of using triadic structure, which is one of the world's great magical ideas. You know why three? Because it's more mm-hmm. than two and less yeah. than four. You know that's the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But that's a very interesting triadic structure that you've given us. I think from uh, you know the nature of language and how English is taught, and the nature of, of the educational system to uh, what are, you know, probably one of the most, well, the world's most famous fast food franchise will look like, to then a very interesting, to many people, an obscure and exotic uh, food item and how that fits into world culture. I think that's a lovely response. I, I really, very, very well done. Very interesting. It got me thinking on Thank many you. levels. I, I think that this is a good exercise for people. You know, we don't really... The idea of the big things, well, will we still be wearing masks or, you know, will the air be able to be breathable or, you know, will cars be flying? All of the stuff, basically, that you could uh, simply have in uh, the the first synopsis sentence of a science fiction book, try to avoid that level of thinking and go to much more, uh, I well, I mean... Not necessarily mundane, because one of David's uh, questions is very is exotic, I think, and very specialized, and outside mm-hmm. a lot of people's frames of, of knowledge and reference. So, it's just getting off that beaten track. Uh, this is a good exercise for people to engage in, and it's it's worth uh, writing your your questions down and referring back to them over time. It, it, it's a good, you know to see what you think in, in 12 months' time. I think this is, 
this is how we, we, we do grow and, and change our perspectives. And I thought it was really cool. Very good answer. Very good answer. Exactly in the register that uh, that I was, you know, that 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 the uh, the challenge is pitched in. So excellent. Excellent. Well, awesome. And I can answer the questions that you asked earlier. That in order, they are no, yes, and no. Um, but the I also just want to clarify. You got exactly what I was saying, but I was I want to just clarify real quick the the English question is not supposed to be a question of, oh, well, will we be speaking Spanish? Will we all be learning Chinese? I just want to clarify that that's not yeah, what I, no, to the yeah, listeners, right? right. That's, not, that's not what I mean at all. I, I'm, I'm assuming that English will still be the language that is spoken, but uh, will there be tributaries, right? Um, will there be, you know, will it be almost split in two? Classic, like the way that we have old English and modern English now, will there be a third thing? that's almost hieroglyphic emoji meme based uh interesting stuff to think about. absolutely no i think you've but, expressed that very well i don't think i would be surprised if anyone's not not clear on that and i think that what you're proposing is is very interesting and far more interesting than the question of well what is going to be the dominant language you know will it be some sort of mandarin yeah. you know drive thing or spanish now i I mean, probably, uh, you know, I mean, but no, I, I think well, that what, what, I, and I like your idea of tributary. I think that's a very interesting uh, choice of words there. So, no, I, I think that's very, that's certainly worth. Uh, I, I think that will provoke some interesting responses from people uh, because it, it, it's a very definite question in, in pure uh, professional education terms. You know, it absolutely is. I mean, we're seeing the beginnings of right. this. Uh, the, the fracturing and, and the kinds of debates and seminars and workshops and, and you know, foci that are needed to uh, facilitate the fragmentation that you are you know, possibly suggesting or certainly wondering about. You know? So that's in progress. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that, that, and, and, but all three together, I think, work in an interesting uh, David Lectic way. Fantastic. I'm glad you're happy with them, and I'm grateful for the challenges. I've, I, I can't say it enough. People already know uh, how much this has really helped me, and I hope it's helping you as well. Speaking of things that help, this is uh, the word that I would use for this part of the show. For me, is cozy. This is my coziest part of the show because I get to kick back. My challenges are done. My homework is finished. <laughs> the lesson is over, and I get to hear a dream. Oh, I have one. I have a. Uh, I have a practical tip. Another sort of more, you know, just basic practical. Tip. Oh, there's a practical. T- okay. Yeah. I, okay. Well, you're pulling double duty then because we've done three tools. Yeah. So yeah, practical tip and dream are both. I'm, I'm anxious to hear. Okay. Yeah. So the practical tips, sort of keeping these separate from from the tools, because the tools we we're going to roll out in bigger sort of ways. The practical tips, I th- I hope, are kind of standalone and uh, reflect and refract, you know, of different ideas. But certainly, uh, I think we'd all agree that identity and sense of self is is kind of hard to get around. One of our fundamental challenges, illusions, uh, certainly a, a feature of constant uh, debate and concern in our time. So what I would like you to do is get a hold of some basic uh, index cards, good old sort of little index cards, 
they're very handy. I use them. I think they're, you know, they're readily available in any Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, wherever. They're cheap, and they have a nice sense of framing to them. They're not too large, and, and yet they're, uh, you know, they're, you can do stuff on them. What I'd like you to do is you can choose your time period, but you need at least seven, at least uh, seven days, ten days, or two weeks. But and your choice of implement is is up to you pencils pens ink you know really it's up to you but i i want you to do a self portrait every day and it doesn't matter how capable you are at drawing do not get hung up on that level that's not the point and you don't you, your sense of self portrait can be very open ended very you know possibly very abstract but I want you to try to do something very different and distinct. I recommend doing them at, at the same time each day. Maybe first thing mm -hmm. over a coffee, maybe just before you go to bed. At some point where there's a kind of time and therefore mood possibly, you know, connection, but definitely a moment where you can focus. Just right. keep them right. note okay. card sized. And then one other thing I would like you to do is is once you complete one have a place where you can put it away and don't look at it until the end. So mm. if you are doing this exercise over seven days, you will only see drawing one when you complete it and at the end. All right? Mm -hmm. That's very important to this exercise. And when you finish, lay them all out. Lay them all out, and you will find that you'll be able to take a photograph with your basic, you know, cell phone. Photograph the whole, and then if you have access to a computer, look at that mosaic, that composite, full screen, and write a response. And I think you will find that exercise very, very instructive in ways that I don't want to diminish with, uh, with my perspective on it. I think you will find your own answer, which will be a process, which will itself will be a mosaic. But I really recommend this mm -hmm. technique. I think we are obsessed with ourselves, and we may not be able to get away from that. So let's use images of ourselves. Let's use, let's turn the problem back in on itself as a way forward. Excellent. All right. Well, here's the dream. And I think this is, uh, it was kind of a mystical experience for me because it happened the day before New Year's. Uh, it was a nap dream, and I normally just have refreshment sort of dog naps, and I just absolutely died into a state of complete comatose oblivion. It was, I haven't slept that hard in as long as I can remember and e not even on under any sort of anesthesia or recovery from some sort of operation or anything it was just a complete death and rebirth uh, and it was also incredibly realistic on multiple levels and then very revealing at the end so I think people will recall I've been having some difficulties with uh, downstairs neighbors of a criminal kind. Uh, so serious prison people, but who also have drug and mental illness issues. 
and it's been it's been tense and i think that has affected sleep patterns and uh created some issues well i in the dream i came down and there is one woman living with these four strange guys which in itself is is very odd and at the bottom of the stairs was this rotten disgusting sort of couch of theirs and a chair and I just said, well, look, you, you, you can't leave this here, you know, this is all. And as I got near it, not only was it just stinking and rotten and just emblematic of a whole underclass of, of life and spirit, not just, you know, money, but spirit, but the, the things were yeah. riddled and just infested with these stinging flies, like the most evil sand flies that you can imagine, and the smell of, of animal urine, and it was just awful. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, look, you're not supposed to dump this stuff in the dumpster area, but we gotta get it away. We got, we, you can't have it here. The, these things are just, you know, this is like a plague. And so I forced her to help me get this, this furniture in the dumpster sort of area so it was at least not in the stairwell. And then I went back up the stairs. So I'm, I'm fully in my Las Vegas place. But instead of there being two floors, there are three in the dream. And on the second floor is a little confab of a couple uh, and, a, and two obvious real estate agents looking at a property. And the couple is an Asian chick and a white dude with a red beard. And they're talking to this real estate agent and another real estate agent sort of there. And they mention a price which is actually lower than the price that I've, I got from my place in real life. And my first thought is, well, I'm going to, uh, I should say something. I'm like, nah, 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 I won't. And I go on upstairs to the third floor, which I don't, doesn't exist in real life. And all of my furnishings are gone while I was out, just in that moment, I was robbed, robbed of everything. Mm. So I raced down and I mm. say to this, this couple, you know, did you see anything? And uh, the gal goes, yeah, the, 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 the people moving the stuff said you didn't want this. It was a picture frame. It was an empty picture frame. And uh, apparently a picture of my mother was in it, which I, I don't actually have one of those. But I turn around to go back upstairs freaked out about how all my furnishing and who should come down the stairs but my principal ex-wife from Australia and she's mm. got some more stuff in hand and I I was so stunned and I grabbed her by the throat in the dream and mm. I said do you hate me so much and she's just incredibly nonchalant because well you were taking your time moving and I turned to the guy with the red beard and I said, you've got to call the police. And I distinctly said the Victoria police, as in the state in Australia, even though everything is happening mm -hmm. in a Vegas atmosphere. And I woke up from that just absolutely stunned because basically I don't dream of, of Mike's with that very much. And, and I, when I have of in the last time, it's been kind of uh, revisionary in a good sense. And I realized that, you know, the truth is our deep psychic realities are deep and they may not change <laughs> and we have to be very empathetic with ourselves about that because we have no control over that psychic reality and starting the new year we need to be more empathetic with our friends and, and colleagues 
when we have moments of friction with them, maybe we're talking to a deeper level of, of stratification, you know, that, that yeah, right. lower in the fossil record suddenly than we, than we realize. And it's simply out of their control. We can't take responsibilities for certain things like that, you know. And, and there are certain levels of our realities that persist in time that are not secular as in fashionable and disposable. They endure. And we just have to kind of accept that, you know, accept that within ourselves and maybe be a little bit more patient and understanding with moments of, of conflict and misunderstanding with people we know. So that's, uh, that was my, and that was New Year's uh, Eve day, and it, it set me up actually, I think, for a good New Year's Eve and first day of the new year. Well, that's good. That's yeah. It sounds like a very purgative type dream. Good word. Um, good it word. Seems like I li- I like the folding over of reality elements uh, between the the past and the present. Uh, it's very interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if it had an influence on the things that you've talked about today. And uh, I think it's about as as clear a dream as you can get. You know. I mean. I think that. Um, that message, I think, is I'm noticing it in the uh, literature and the television programs that I've been watching. Uh, I'm not somebody who thinks that my television talks to me per se, <laughs> but what I am uh, picking up and what the universe is sending me are very clear messages along the lines of uh, your dream there, you know, of, of realizing the. Uh, the source of a lot of these um, present concerns, right? Nothing is ever simple. It can get quite annoying, actually, when you want things to just be, you know, well, I'm dealing with assholes, mm. right? And then, and then your dreams come in and say, yes, but, you know, there's a current that runs through this that, that goes back and, you know, and then you're like, oh well, I would, I liked it better when I was just dealing with assholes. <laughs> but that's too bad. That's not, that's not what we get to do. So uh, I, I find a lot of value in that. I appreciate it. Nothing is is simple. That is certainly true. I think if we can, you know, kind of get our heads around that and our hearts adjusted to it in good fashion, you know, and really feel, mm-hmm. you know, just accept that part of of the universe and our and therefore ourselves. Uh, that is the way forward, you know. It's because uh, we don't want to think of ourselves as simple, you know. I think that's uh, that's no. the flip side of that. No. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Well, all right. Yeah, that'll wrap us up for now. Um, thanks to everybody who has contacted me about being a part of the book club. It's not too late. Feel free to message me, and we'll I'll put you on my spreadsheet. We're doing this a bit analog. Everything these days is as easy as clicking a button, but Patreon is not great for single payment um, transactions, and uh, I don't have the technical know-how to set up uh, kind of like a pay button for this kind of thing. Eventually, Chris and I might move to one of the several Patreon-esque uh, educational platforms in which you know you can kind of post lectures and, and things of that nature uh, but for now go ahead and uh, email me at the butterfly in your mouth at gmail.com 
or since we're all on Patreon here, you can uh, you can do what the folks who've contacted me have done and just shoot me a message, and I'll have you linked in, and then you'll uh, we'll just do a PayPal thing, and then I'll hand it over to Chris. Excellent. We're about ready to kick that off. So yes, please follow through on that. I think it's going to be very exciting, very good start to an ongoing learning adventure. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, take care. Yeah.